Well, good evening. It's good for us to be here together. Salvation through Christ is by grace, by God's grace, by divine grace, a gift, a gift of everlasting love. And that grace, God's grace, is surpassingly rich, rich in kindnesses that are bestowed upon us, and we are recipients of that overflowing love and grace. And there is a favorite hymn of many that expresses it quite well, in my estimation. And the first stanza begins, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Outside of Jesus Christ, do we see ourselves truly as wretches? That's a strong word. Very strong, descriptive concept. And outside of Christ, is, is that how we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves as wretches before God? Well, the Apostle Paul expressed a very similar wording in Romans chapter 7. When he talked about the struggle between flesh and spirit and mind and, and the, the conflict and the battle that is raging in this world over the souls of men. And he says, what a wretch I am. And so he used the same concept of the idea of this expression that in sin we are a wretch. And he goes on to ask the question, and who will set me free from this? When you think about that idea, and that's a very sobering thought, and yet the gospel teaches us about the power of God's grace. The gospel is a message about that power. And that God's grace is abundantly amazing, and it is such that it has been impacting lives in very drastic ways. And the gospel story tells us about people who received grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of those people, we only know them by the description of their misfortune, or the description of their misdeeds. Some of them, we do not even know their names. We only know them by their sin. And this story has been, been told and, and shared for almost 2,000 years now. And it will continue to be told and shared until the end of time so all of mankind from generation to generation may know the amazing story of God's grace at work. The first person I want us to very briefly look at is known by his disability. That's how we know him. We know him by his disability. We understand and we know that when you read the gospel story that uh, 
Jesus taught from city to city in Galilee as well as in Judea. And one day he's in Capernaum. And while he's in Capernaum, gathers, gathered around as usual, gathered you know, in the house and around the house where he was staying. And here enters the paralyzed man of Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, beginning in there in verse 17, he says, One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. The power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and they let down, they let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man? Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, why are your reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had that we had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. Here's a man that we only know by his disability. That's how we, that's what we say, hey, you know, let me tell you the story about the paralytic. And here is a man who is able only to lie in bed. He can't walk. He can't do for himself. He has to rely on the charity of others. And here's a situation where someone else's roof gets torn up. Because you, you have this disability and they want you to be there with Jesus. And, and so they tear up the roof to make a hole in somebody else's roof. It's not their roof. They tear this hole in this other guy's roof. And they, and they let you down in the middle of that crowd in front of Jesus. And so here you are. You're being lowered down for everybody to look at you now. The paralyzed man. And while you're there, the religious leaders in that audience start talking and thinking among themselves, expressing their concern and how they're upset because of what Jesus said to you. And the first thing Jesus says is not pick up your bed and walk. The first thing Jesus says is not, you're healed. 
And so he's not healed immediately. The first thing he says to you in front of everybody else is, your sins are forgiven you. And then, as the conversation unfolds, Jesus says, so that you know that I have the authority to forgive people's sins. He then heals the man. And so he heals this man because he wants to teach them that he can forgive sins. Now, the paralytic did exactly what Jesus told him to do. He got up and took his bed, took that stretcher, and he went home. He obeyed the Lord, and so, yes, he he was healed, but that day, as he went home glorifying God on his way home, there's two gifts he received that day. And the greater gift is not the fact that he's walking. The greater gift is the fact that Jesus forgave him. God's grace is amazing. Our next person is known as the sinner in town. How would you like to be known as that? You are the sinner of the, of the village. You're the sinner in town that everybody knows about. And so a sinful woman enters the room in Luke chapter 7. She is emotionally distraught. The religious leaders who are present are looking down on you disdainfully to the point that you know, they would not even touch you, that they dislike you that much. And yet here you are and you present yourself and you start wiping a man's feet with your tears and with your own hair. And while you're doing that, there are some words that are expressed and spoken that are, are unkind and quite hateful about your spiritual state. And Jesus even says out loud and announces, you have many sins. And yet, Jesus spoke up for you. Jesus defended your humble deeds of love. In Luke chapter 7, picking up our reading at verse 40 here, we'll read a few verses. And it says, excuse me, get over one more page. And Jesus answered him. This is the Pharisee's home in which he is visiting and has been invited in. And so he says to the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, Simon had said some things previously that were unkind. And so he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? 
Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, where is that woman? At his feet. Wiping his feet with her tears and and her hair. So he, he turns to the woman And yet he said to Simon, isn't that an interesting picture? He looks at the woman, but he addresses his words to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he says to the woman, your faith, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The Lord pointed out here that this Pharisee named Simon did not offer nor did any of those things that she was doing out of a sense of hospitality as the host of Jesus or out of love. He didn't. And so he, what he does, he contrasts his neglect as a host with her actions of humble love. And yes, she did have many sins, but she loved much. She loved intensely to the point that Jesus says to her, your sins have been forgiven you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What we have here is just another story of God's mercy and grace at work. John 8, the one known as the adulteress the adulteress that everybody knows. And so over in John 8, we turn our pages there and we'll begin reading at verse 2. But let's kind of just kind of you know, remind ourselves here. What you have is you've got the religious leaders, leaders who have now set you, have brought you into the center where Jesus is teaching in in the temple area. And here you are, you are placed in the middle, in front of Jesus, and everybody sees you. And not only that, your adultery was announced. So everybody not only sees you being presented to Jesus, Everybody who is close enough hears it as well. Talking about public humiliation. Public humiliation. 
And at the same time, these religious leaders, knowing the law of Moses, make a point to say that the law of Moses required a certain penalty for this particular sin, and they definitely say what it is. She, the law says she should die by stoning. And so that's the situation as we begin our reading at verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in an adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, to Jesus, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law of Moses, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, testing Jesus, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted, in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Jesus being the master, the master teacher, clearly here, masterfully exposed everybody's sins here on this particular occasion. But it's interesting as the scene unfolds and, you know, here's the presentation, here's the public humiliation, here's the questions, you know, that being kind of persistently thrown at Jesus. And for a while, how long? You know, we do not know. But for a moment of some time, Jesus remains quiet. Until finally the persistence moves him to, to say, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he went back to that silent pause again. And what a powerful pause that must have been. And as we have read and already knew, eventually all the accusers have left. And then Jesus turns to her and asks, did no one condemn you? And she says, no. None of these men who have brought, that had brought her into this, none of them, after hearing what Jesus asked them, condemned her. And he says, I don't either. You may go, but 
But from now on, sin no more. Grace. Divine grace. It is such a priceless gift. There's no amount of money that equivalents it. Another one that we know, not by name, but by his deeds, is known as the thief on the cross. A criminal dying because of his crimes. A convicted robber, as we're told by Mark's account. But over in Luke chapter 23, in Luke chapter 23, here we've got the convicted robber hanging there along with Jesus. But on either side, there are two robbers being crucified as well as Jesus. But as the custom would have been, as criminals and crucifixion, they they would be hanging there naked. And yet this thief, this robber, joins others to insult Jesus with all the other mockery that is going on. But in a matter of hours, I don't know how long, but from the moment they are crucified before their death, by inspiration, divine inspiration, Luke shares an amazing story of change. And grace. In Luke chapter 23, verse 39, he says, One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, this man has done no wrong, nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today... You shall be with me in paradise. In a matter of hours, this convicted criminal deserving of death humbly repented and turned to Jesus. And he confessed that he had done wrong. He confessed that. Yeah, I, I am guilty. And in that confession, he not only confesses his wrong as a criminal, but he's, he basically goes on with the confession and says, and accepts the fact that I deserve what is being done to me right now. It is just that I die on this cross because of what I've done. And because he has a change of heart, he rebukes the other thief for insulting and mocking you, even though he had been there along with them earlier. But in the matter of, of these moments, minutes, hours, whatever, he had a change of heart, and the truth became apparent to him. 
And so he turns to Jesus and simply asks, remember me. Remember me in your kingdom. Not only did this man believe Jesus to be innocent, he knew, he knew Jesus was innocent. So, and he believed that with all his heart. He believed Jesus was innocent. Jesus should not be dying up here on a cross with us. We should be dying on a cross, not Jesus. But more than just that, this man, this thief, that's how we know. We always refer to him as the thief, as the robber. That's how we know him by his, his misdeeds, his transgressions. And yet, he became a believer that Jesus is king. And that Jesus was going to come to that kingdom. And he wanted to be remembered by Jesus when Jesus was reigning in his kingdom. And so Jesus turns to him because he has the authority to forgive sins on earth. Jesus turns to him and Jesus assures that thief in that very hour by saying, today... You will be with me in paradise. God's grace, God's grace is able, able abundantly to save sinners. Our last character study or character consideration is known as the eunuch. Sometimes we refer to him as the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 8. So let's turn over there as we briefly consider his story that the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son to share with us through the work and the writing of our brother Luke. In Acts chapter 8, we are introduced to this man, and he is a worshiper of Jehovah. He's a worshiper of God, but he's a worshiper of God, of Jehovah, who's needing saving. He's needing saving. But what kind of man is this worshiper of Jehovah? Well, he's a foreigner. He's, he's Ethiopian. He's from Ethiopia. He's a foreigner. He's a man that has been castrated probably because he was the queen's treasurer. That's probably why he's the eunuch. And because of that, he would have been looked down upon because of that physical condition. And maybe even ridiculed by some in, in society. The law of Moses, the law of Moses, and Jews were still holding to that, at this time, even though the gospel is here and the gospel is being shared and souls are being saved by the power of Jesus Christ because of God's rich mercy and grace. But the law of Moses stated back in Deuteronomy that such a person was banned from assemblies by the law. And yet, the Holy Spirit makes sure that Philip is sent to this man, 
as he's traveling back home and make sure that Philip is going to preach God's power for salvation to this eunuch. We don't know his name. We don't know his name at all. We just know his condition. That's it. But beginning there in, in Luke chapter 30, after the Spirit has directed Philip, he, so it says, Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture, which he was reading, was this. We're familiar with this passage. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me. Tell me of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. What a beautiful story that is. What a beautiful account of a soul being saved through faith by grace. Here's a man who learned about Jesus, and he learns how Jesus is God's lamb. That's the lamb that God has offered for humanity, and it's that lamb who is born, uh, carried, and died for the sins and the chastisement of all transgressors, all men. And perhaps, maybe, we don't know, if, if they continued to read a little bit further or refer to some other scriptures in Isaiah, perhaps in Isaiah 56, he would have learned and heard that foreigners and eunuchs are going to be given an everlasting name. He was convicted by the gospel. It reached him. It cut his heart, and he eagerly desired to be baptized, to put on Christ, to clothe himself with Christ through baptism, and he was. And so that day, he was able to continue his journey home rejoicing, rejoicing in a way that he'd never rejoiced before because he was a recipient of salvation, and he was a citizen of the kingdom, and he was one with everyone else. And that condition that made him different was no longer significant. God's grace is amazing. And it is that same grace, it hasn't changed. It is the same grace of God 
that is still impacting lives today. If we are in Christ, if we have clothed our life with Jesus Christ, and even if our past is remembered, we do not have to be shamefully humiliated any longer because we are part of God's story of grace. We are part of the ongoing account of God's grace at work in our lives. The saints, our brethren in Corinth, had a grace story to tell. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul reminds them by asking questions, do you, do you not know that those who practice unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's talking to Christians. He's reminding them. He says, don't be deceived by this. You cannot inherit, unright- you cannot inherit the kingdom by continuing unrighteousness. And he lists several sins there. But then in verse 11, what does it say? After listing a number of sins there in the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says, such were some of you. Their life was a story of grace at work. And he goes on to say, such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. The Corinthians had a story of grace to share by the life that had been impacted and changed by Jesus Christ. And so did Paul. The Apostle Paul, who is introduced to us in the beginning, in early chapters of Acts, as Saul. And he's not a nice guy when he's introduced to us. He's not following the Lord Jesus Christ. He is doing quite the opposite. And yet, his story is a story of grace. And it's a story, yes, that yes, his past is remembered. The Spirit chose to tell us the story of his past. And Paul, even in 1 Timothy chapter 1, recounts that because it is a story of powerful transformation and the fact that God was rich in his grace toward even Saul. In verse 12 of the first chapter of 1 Timothy, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. And yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect 
patience as an example for those who believe in him for eternal life. Grace at work. People that we don't even know by name. We don't know them personally. We simply know them by the misfortunes and the misdeeds of their lives. And God preserves those stories, those accounts to teach us that there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Even for those who would be considered the so-called worst kind of sinners. You know, do, do, we, do we see our own sins, our past, or if we have any present, do we see our sins sitting right beside some of those horrendous sins in our judgment? Do we see ourselves as prison mates, jail mates with a murderer that we, we share the same cell? Do we see ourselves in that way? Wretched man I am, who can set me free? Jesus can. Jesus can set us free. And Jesus does. And Jesus did for all these people when he forgave them of their sins. Yes, addicts, fornicators, criminals, the Davids, the Lelands, the Johns. You know, the Geralds, the Phils, we just go on down the, let's put our name in that list. We all need saving and we can be saved because of the power of God's grace. The richness, the unsurpassing richness of God's grace that is poured out on our behalf The gospel is what needs to be shared. And the gospel is what we need to be studying. And the gospel is that we need to be holding because in it is the power of God to save all who will believe Jesus. Believe in him and believe his promises. So no matter what our sins have been, or no matter matter what our sins may be, even at this moment, God's grace, God's grace is abundantly able to provide whatever help you and I need. It's there. Just ask the so-called sinner in the town that everybody knew. Just ask the adulteress that was publicly humiliated if God's grace is able to cleanse and save. It is. It is. Ask the thief if grace in Christ can redeem your soul. It can. Will you turn to him tonight? Will you turn and seek the Lord, submit your will to his, so you may begin to taste of the goodness and the kindness of God's love, mercy, and grace? Whatever your spiritual need may be, We invite you to come forward, make your wishes known as we stand and sing the song that has been selected.